But we're back now on our series called The Spirit, and let me give you just a recap so that we can get back on track and and, uh, be working together on this. Uh, The first thing is that God is good all the time. Amen? And you, you know the little phrase, because when I first became a Christian, I didn't know the phrase. And, and I would say, God is good. And people would say, all the time. And I would say, yes, He is. And I wouldn't know what they were doing. And so it was always awkward, because they'd look at me funny. But, but God is good. And all the time. Amen. I figured that out. I feel better about myself now. I feel like I belong, so that's good. Uh, but... God is good, not just Jesus, but the whole Trinity is good. You know, Jesus is good. We know Jesus is good because he's the friendly one, right? He's the one that loves us and died for us. And But the Father is good too, and he's not an angry old man like people think. You know, he is the God of the universe, but he loves you too. And the Holy Spirit is good, not not the weird, goofy part of the Trinity, but he's the... The, uh, the interface between us and God, the Holy Spirit. And so we need to realize that God is good all the time. The whole Trinity is good, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we need to not resist the Holy Spirit, but we need to embrace the Holy Spirit, embrace the things of the Spirit, because God is good all the time. We talked about the new covenant that was prophesied in Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three. And uh, this is the new covenant. And of course, this is Old Testament prophecy. This is again quoted in the New Testament um, because it's come to pass. And now we're living in this in this time of the new covenant. But this is the prophecy in Jeremiah 31, 33. It says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. What is the mechanism for that? How does the law of God put, be put on our minds and in our hearts? How does that work? Well, that happens through the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And then it's written on our hearts so we don't have to look everything up. If your neighbor does something that you don't like, should you kill your neighbor? Do you need to look it up? Well, I think that was in there somewhere. You know, oh, let me see. Maybe I should kill him, maybe not. Oh, oh, love your neighbor. Okay, all right. Well, I guess I shouldn't do that. We don't have to look that up, do we? It's in here already. It's in here already. We should have certain things of the truths of God that we know are just, they're just obvious. It's written in our hearts, written in our minds. Should we bear fruit for the kingdom of God? Should we make a difference in this world? We shouldn't have to look up John chapter 15 where it says uh, that, that God cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. We shouldn't have to look that up and be like, oh, I better bear some fruit then. You know, we should look at this world and see people who are living broken lives and think there's an answer for that. We should look at people and see that they're separated from God and know there's an answer for that. Somebody should do something. We should do something. We should feel it in our heart. We should know it in our mind. We shouldn't have to look it up. Because the Holy Spirit has put the law of God in our mind and in our hearts. It's the new covenant that we're grafted into. Now, the Holy Spirit also changes our heart. We have little heart surgeries. We can have a whole heart transplant. I got a heart transplant in about 95, somewhere in there. That was a wonderful experience from God. And that is described in the Scriptures as the fruit of the Spirit. 
where we go from being selfish to being a person of love, where we go from anger and bitterness to having patience and compassion, where our heart is changed. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And this is an important point that we talked about, so it it bears repetition. The fruit of the Spirit is not the fruit of your labor. Don't make the mistake that most Christians make when they realize they don't have enough love for others is just feel guilty and try harder. It's not about feeling guilty and trying harder. It's about letting the presence of God, the Spirit of God into your heart so that His compassion can be in your heart and you can care about other people. Get His love. You don't have to just feel guilty and try harder. And that doesn't work all that well anyway. So open yourself up to the Holy Spirit of God. He'll do that heart work. And that's called the fruit of the Spirit. Then we've got the empowerment for ministry, the empowerment to be who God called us to be, whatever uh, way that the Lord has decided to have you uh, help with the cause of Christ. And those are the gifts of the Spirit. I remember 15 years ago this week when I was going down to Minneapolis, Minneapolis for the big uh, minister's event on Thursday night, and I was going to be there for the first time. And, and uh, uh, just before that happened, it became a reality. Oh man, I'm going to become a preacher guy. And you know what I thought? I thought I had a little panic. And I thought to myself, I can't do that. And the panic subsided and was replaced by a peace that said, I can't do that. So the first panic was, I can't do that. And then that was replaced by a piece of, I can't do that. So I guess I don't have to be the one that makes it happen. I need to tie into the power of God. If I can't do it, because you know, God will ask you to do things you can't do. So don't just panic and realize you can't do it. Relax and realize He must have a plan. He must have things He wants to do through you. And that's the empowerment, the gifts of the Spirit. Last time we talked about this series, we talked about going deeper with God and how that can create some some group tensions. You know, uh, you want revival, right? But do you want somebody a couple pews over to be having revival? You know, I mean, if somebody over there is having revival, it might just be weird. You know, like they, you never know what they're going to do if they're getting revival. Uh, and so, so it can create some, some tensions and that sort of thing. You know, like you want people raising their arms. I mean, you want to just be open to God in, in worship. Yeah, amen. But if the person next to you is like that and they just can't sing on key and that sort of a deal, it, it can create some tensions. We talked about that and how that all works. And, and the key with that is loving one another. Because guess what? People aren't perfect. And if you're expecting that, I hate to disappoint you, but it's just not going to happen. Even good sold out believers in the Lord are not going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to make gifting mistakes. They're going to make heart mistakes. They're just going to do some things wrong from time to time. And so we need to love each other through the process so that we can be honest and actually grow deeper in the Lord instead of putting up a front and pretending to be somebody that we're not. So we need to love one another. This week, we're going to talk about being spirit-led. We're just going to 
get started with this topic. We'll have to continue on next week, but let's uh, pray. We'll get into new material this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to gather together to honor and worship you and to, to seek you, to learn more about you, to learn how to walk in your ways better. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our time now, that you would help us to grab hold of your truth. Lord, that you would help us to take just one step forward in serving you better. So just bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Being Spirit-led. Normal biblical Christianity involves living a Holy Spirit-led life. That's normal biblical Christianity. And so today we're going to look at some promises. We're going to look at some scriptures that deal with being spirit-led. And then we're going to look at some specific examples in the book of Acts of people being spirit-led. And then we're, we're going to see how does that work today? How does that go? And so let's begin with some promises from the Gospel of John, starting in verse 26 of chapter 14. Jesus is speaking to His disciples and He says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So this is an amazing promise that we will be taught all things. Isn't that, wouldn't that be handy? If God were to teach you all things. If you needed to understand something, you needed to know how something worked, you needed to understand what was going on in your emotions, you needed to understand how this relationship was happening, whatever the case may be, if God could teach you, you'd be set, right? You could understand it and you could be able to function the right ways. It says here that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. That's an amazing, amazing promise that we have a helper from God that will be our teacher. And it also says that the Holy Spirit will remind us of everything that Jesus has said. Have you ever been going through life and a scripture verse will just come up in your mind? That's this. The Holy Spirit will remind you of the truths of God. And so you're you're sinking into some negative emotion or whatever and a a scripture verse will pop up and it'll change the way you see things and you'll be able to dig yourself out of that mess. That's the Holy Spirit reminding you of the things of God. That can happen in, boy, in a lot of different ways. Those are some of the promises that, that we have. There are more promises in John 16, 12 and 13. This is, I always put this in there because uh, even though it's not a promise... It helps me because it describes where I'm at in my relationship with God. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. It reminds me of my father-in-law, super great mentor in the Lord, and he was talking to me several years back about his early Christian days and how he would, in prayer, he would ask God, you know, Lord, are there things you want me to change about how I'm living my life? And God would give him a little list. And he'd work on that little list. And he'd get it going pretty good. And he'd, he'd be like, Lord, I finished the list. How am I doing? And, you know, is there anything else? And then he'd get another little list. And he'd work through those things. 
And then he'd get done with that list and he'd, be like, he'd pray some more. Lord, is there anything else you want me to change? Well, you know, yeah, there is this thing. And then, then he'd deal with that. And it would just go like that. You know, a new thing, a new thing, a new thing. God doesn't just dump everything on us just all at once. Right? Everything you're doing wrong. That would crush us. That's more than what we can now bear. But through the Holy Spirit, He'll show us what's, what's the next step I need to take. What's the manageable bite I can chew off right now? And He'll show us piece by piece what we need. Verse 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. And so it can take some time to do that because it'll be piece by piece. Not everything all at once. Not everything that's wrong with you thrown on you. That's more than what you can bear. But it says here that the Spirit will guide us into all truth. That seems pretty handy too. So we've got amazing, amazing promises that we'll be led into the truth. And then it says, He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears. And He will tell you what is yet to come. So the promise is not just to be led into all truth, but to be tipped off about the future too. Isn't that amazing? What does that mean? The first service was looking pretty nervous when I was talking about this. They're starting to look kind of scared. Like, where is he going with that? Well, uh, don't ask God what the lottery numbers are going to be, okay? Don't, that's not, that's not where this is. But let me tell you, 15 years ago, I was down at the, the, the credentialing service and got all that done for me. But 25 years ago, I knew I needed to tell people about God because they needed to know. I knew I needed to tell people. I had a desire in my heart. I had a, not, a, not even a desire. My, I could feel it in my chest. There was a pain in my chest. People need to know about the living God. And I, I need to help them however I can. The problem was, 25 years ago, I had no ability to do that. So I, it was 15 years ago that that journey began. But 25 years ago, the Holy Spirit showed me in that way. The day will come where you'll, you'll speak to people about God. You be on that road. You be getting ready for that. You be developing. You be getting stronger. You be getting smarter. You, you start learning stuff. You get there. Because he was showing me what was yet to come. That the day would come when I would speak to people about God. And so that's the sort of thing that the Holy Spirit will guide us into and show us what is yet to come. He'll talk to us about our calling in various ways. So those are some promises. Then there's some more interesting stuff in Romans chapter 8, verses 13 through 16. And it says this, Starts off kind of unpleasant, but uh, we read the whole thing. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. So is that good? Let's avoid that. Very important. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So what is that talking about? We've all had that tugging, right? Here's the thing I want to do. I know I probably shouldn't, but I want to. And then, here's the thing I know God would have me do. The one 
is the sinful nature. We can follow that. The consequences of that is death. The wages of sin is death. Or I can reject that and follow what the Spirit would have me do, what God would have me do. And I can walk in those ways. And then I will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So what it says here is that when we live according to the Spirit, when we live the Spirit-led life, that demonstrates that we are children of God. That we are in a relationship with the Creator of the universe that's a family relationship. It's not just that He's the King and we're worried He's going to destroy us, but we're appeasing Him. It's that we're in the family of God. And that's uh, explained more, more fully in the next couple of verses. It says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. So when we believe in Christ, we trust in the Lord, when we believe in God, we receive a spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about this before. The Holy Spirit is active in the lives of people who don't believe in God, active in the lives of people who do believe in God, and can be even more active than what you've experienced till this point in your life. And same thing with me. But this spirit that we receive does not make us a slave to fear. We didn't receive a spirit of fear. And this is talking about fear of death, fear of final judgment, fear of being separated from God. We don't need to be afraid of that because the Holy Spirit in us testifies that we are children of God. You receive the spirit of sonship. So the Holy Spirit in us says we are children of God and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So instead of being afraid and feeling separated from God and realizing that that separation brings judgment and destruction and thus we are afraid, instead we know we've believed, we know we've received the, uh, the forgiveness that is offered by Christ and we receive the Holy Spirit, which is not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of being a child of God, belonging in the family and knowing it. Having that security. Having that peace. It's good to receive that spirit and not be afraid. Let's look at specific examples in the book of Acts. Because how does this work? You know, I, that was one of the things that when I became a Christian was how does this all work? You know, what's the, what's the mechanics of it? How, you know, where is God? How, how does this go? You know, it was very difficult for me. Um, so let's look at some specific examples and see if we can get a feel for how this Spirit-led life, how being led by the Holy Spirit worked in the book of Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 8, um, verses 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Very specific, very directed to an individual, Philip. 
Go stand over there. <laughs> okay, so Philip went over there. Well, why did the Spirit say to Philip, go stand by the chariot? Because there was an Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot who was trying to understand the things of God and needed to have it explained to him. And so Philip stood there, started hearing him read from the Scriptures and said, hey, do you understand what that means? And the guy says, how am I going to understand unless somebody explains it to me? And Philip's like, I know why I'm standing by this chariot. And he explains it to him. The guy ends up getting baptized. It's just an amazing thing. But here's an example of the Spirit telling Philip something very specific to him. Go to that chariot and stay near it. Another example, in Acts chapter 11, 28 through 30, they're having church, prophetic meeting, the prophets were all gathering together, they're having prayer and prophetic time, and, and this is where we pick it up. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. So this is tell you the things that are yet to come. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Have you noticed when you read the epistles that they're that Paul is collecting offerings. That's from this. From a prophetic word, there's going to be a famine. So they thought, well, then let's start collecting stuff because we want to make sure that we're going to live through the famine. So let's take some offerings. So a famine is predicted through the Spirit And they interpret that as a call to action so that they can make it through the famine without having unnecessary problems. Interesting stuff. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. Another time they're having church, they're having a special conference, and they're praying and worshiping. Verse 2 of Acts 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So they're fasting and praying. They're having some time with God. And the Holy Spirit says to the group, I got something specific, something special I want Barnabas and Saul to do. Saul being the Apostle Paul. I've got things I want them to do. That was made clear to the group through the Spirit. So they laid hands on them, commissioned them to do the Lord's work, and sent them off. So God called Barnabas and Paul in this prayer and fasting meeting, and they laid hands on them and sent them off. They must have had some sort of direction as to where to go, because they sent them off. Acts 15, verse 28 This is uh, the conclusion of the Jerusalem Council. So let me explain that. So in the early days, you know, Christianity came out of Judaism. Jesus was was Jewish. The the Jewish Messiah came. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And uh, um, then the, the, the Christian faith started to grow inside of the Jewish culture. And then 
people who weren't Jewish started to believe in God. The Gentiles began to believe in God. And there was revival happening in Samaria. And there were just people who weren't Jewish who were becoming Christians. And so the question was, do you need to convert to Judaism to be a Christian? Because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. So do you have to be Jewish to be a Christian? That was the question. And so they're wrangling and trying to figure it all out. And thankfully, they decided that you don't have to be Jewish in order to be a Christian. So that's a very nice thing. But they were trying to figure out, so what are the rules then? We know the rules for being Jewish. You know, you got to eat kosher and you got to do these things in these days. And, you know, you got to wear your hair a certain way and you got all this stuff. You know, and it's very clear. What about these Gentiles that, that don't have these traditions? What do we do with them? And so this is how they explain how they came to the decision on what to tell them to do. Acts 15.28 says, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And I'm not going to read those requirements. It's a very small list. But here's the deal. They were saying, okay, you don't need to follow all the Jewish customs. Just do this stuff. And the way they said it was, the authority behind it is, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's the authority behind it. And virtually every translation says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. King James says that, New King James says that, NIV says that, RSV, all all these ones. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Does Does that have a, thus saith the Lord, ring to it? No, that has a, well, we, we tried to figure it out the best we could and, and, you know, we prayed about it and this seems to be where we feel the best and so here's your list, right? This doesn't quite have the go to that chariot and stand near it. It doesn't have that same feel. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So this is a little less, like, clear, Right? Have you ever been in that spot when you're trying to hear from God and it's just, well, it seems like maybe this is the right thing. One more example from Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Here, the the Apostle Paul, you know, who's been prayed for and hands laid on and sent off. And he's going to every place he can possibly go to spread the gospel. And he's just excited about it. And uh, that's where we pick this up. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So kept from the Holy Spirit going certain places. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they're all excited to be preaching the gospel and to be sharing the Lord with whoever will listen. They try to go here, but the Spirit will not allow them to. They try to go there, and the Spirit will not allow them to. I wish I was there. Because what does that mean? Does that mean that they just, you know, like, I just don't feel right about this. Was that it? Or was there like a huge army, or the bridge was washed out? or what, what does that mean? My guess is that they just didn't feel right about it. Like, this just isn't right. 
And so they were going to go here, but no, you know what? We prayed. We just don't feel like that's the thing to do. And so then Paul has this vision in the middle of the night, and they conclude that God is calling us to go to Macedonia. So we don't know what to do. You know, the guy has a dream, so we're going to Macedonia. Let's get ready and go. The leading of the Spirit. Sometimes very clear. Other times can be a little bit vague, a little bit tricky. Now, nothing has changed from the New Testament times to today as far as the leading of the Holy Spirit is concerned. We still, normal Christian belief, normal Christian faith, normal Christian walk is being led by the Holy Spirit, seeking the guidance of the Lord and receiving that guidance. Sometimes, though, that can be kind of difficult and we don't know how to go about things and we're not really sure. And so we don't want to just guess, right? We don't want to just guess, oh, this must be uh, the leading of the Spirit. We want to actually look at things and try to understand as best we can. Because when we make mistakes, that causes problems for us and the people around us. And we don't want to make as many mistakes as we have in the past. We want to start doing better. And so let's just take an honest look at how this works. And so we're going to, uh, today and then next week, we're going to go through some frequently asked questions about the leading of the Spirit and how that works. We're going to do some FAQs with regards to the Holy Spirit and the Spirit leading us and what what is that all about? And so the first question that we're going to cover today is, what is it like? What is it like to be led by the Spirit? What does that feel like? I mean, is it, is it like Paul on the road to Damascus, a blinding light, and everybody thinks it's thunder, but you hear a specific voice? Is, is that what it's like, or, or what is it like? And here's the the answer to normal everyday hearing from God, normal everyday being led by the Holy Spirit, and that is simply this, being able to hear that still small voice in your heart. Not an audible voice, not a miraculous situation, miraculous vision or, or sign, things like that, but just listening to this still small voice. Now, Miraculous visions from God can happen. You know, uh, those things can occur. But the normal everyday spirit-led experience is listening to that still small voice that's, that's quiet and in our hearts. And it... I've heard it described, and I think this is a good way to describe it, as an inner knowing. Like you just sort of know. All of a sudden you know the answer. You ask God the question, and then you know the answer. Okay. Um, I was talking to a guy a few weeks ago who um, I had just met, super nice guy. uh, And he was talking to me about his, his marriage. And he said that there were people that were saying he was not a good husband. And he thought, well, but I'm pretty sure I am. I'm a good guy. You know, he's he's got all these things going on. And uh, he's saying, you know, like, but 
people keep telling me this. And this was not a, not a, you know, like a spooky Christian. You know what I mean? Like not one of those out there people. It's a really very normal person. And he said, so, so I just asked God, hey, if I'm a bad husband, you're going to have to show me. Show me stuff I've done wrong. And he said, boom, 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 boom. These things just line up. He's like, oh, I haven't been very good to my wife, have I? And, and it was revealed to him. And he didn't have a vision from God. There wasn't an audible voice. He just noticed these things just came up. It was just there. He just all of a sudden knew those things. That's this. That's a, that's spirit-led life. That's the, the still small voice of God speaking to us and leading us. Um, <clears throat> another really good friend of mine who is, is a, it's pretty advanced in this spirit-led thing, um, he's a guy who gets a check in his heart, which I think is what was going on when the spirit prevented us from going here and prevented us from going there is you just know you know what we're not supposed to do that have you had that feeling like you know what i there's no reason for us not to do this or there's no reason for me to not do this or there's no reason for me to not let my kid do this but i just know i'm not supposed to that's a check in your heart that's and so this guy he was driving home and he was taking the normal way and he got a don't go home the normal way. Okay. And he would, he would specifically pray individual things. Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? And the, what would happen to him is he'd get, should I do this? No. Should I do this? No. Should I do this? Okay, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do then. So he wouldn't get any yeses. He would only get noes. So he, he, should I go home this way? No. Okay, well, should I take this road? Nothing. Okay, so he took that road, and on his way home, he comes across a a car stuck in the ditch. And it's a young man that we'd been praying for. His mother was praying for him. He was in a spiritual crisis at the time, uh, and he was able to get out and help him and and get him out of the ditch and kind of encourage him and, and, and build that relationship. All because he didn't go home the normal way because he had that, oh, I'm not supposed to go home the normal way. I'll take this road instead. And he went that way and had a divine appointment. So there can be these checks, this sense of, I know I'm not supposed to do that. There might be no reason, but I'm not supposed to do that. I'm just going to, and then, you know, find the way that you're supposed to go. Let me talk about a couple of ways to try to hear from God that I think can be dangerous. Now, I don't want to draw a hard and fast line on this because God is merciful and He helps us out and we can do all kinds of stupid things and He'll help us, right? Have you, have you done that? Have you tried to serve God and you've done dumb things, but He's just bailed you out? You know, hallelujah for that. So I, I don't want to um, come down hard on these sorts of things, but I do want to kind of steer people in another direction. One, one is putting out fleeces. Um, <clears throat> we want to hear the still small voice of God in our heart rather than be looking at outside circumstances to hear from God. 
Um, sometimes God can use those things. And if we ask Him, sometimes He'll be merciful and He'll use outside circumstances. So again, I don't want to be too harsh with this. But here's the deal. If, if you pray, Lord, if a red car drives by, I'll marry her. <laughs> if a black car drives by, I'll marry her. That's not how you want to learn how to hear from God. Okay? So putting out fleeces in those sorts of situations can just uh, lead you away from God. And so... Uh, looking at outside circumstances for your specific leading is not always the best option. It can lead you astray. Um, are you laughing because you've done that or what? <laughs> Another thing to watch out for, and again, uh, people have had success with this, so I don't want to come down too strong, but praying, Lord, if it's your will, open the door. And if it's not your will, shut the door. Um, that can be dangerous because let's say God has called you to do something and it's a significant thing and the devil is opposing you and putting up roadblocks. Then you've prayed, Lord, shut the door if this isn't what you want me to do. So the devil's roadblock will be interpreted as God's sign to not do that. When instead you're supposed to overcome that and battle through it and get to the other side. So the path of least resistance is not necessarily God's will. Sometimes you've got to break down you know, whatever barrier is in front of you and persevere through it. So if you pray, God, shut the door, the enemy is going to be like, I can take care of that. And, uh, and sometimes he'll shut the door. And we'll think it's God. It was not God. Because if you're going to do something significant for the kingdom, There will be battles you will have to fight. And we don't want to misinterpret that as God when it's the enemy coming against us. So the open the door, shut the door thing can lead into some some trouble. We'll continue down um, this series of frequently asked questions next week. Deal with a whole bunch more things. Um, But I'm going to invite the prayer team up and we're... We're going to close. And let me ask you this question as we close. How loud does God have to speak for you to hear? How loud does God have to speak for you to hear? What we want to do is we want to get to a place where we can hear a whisper from God. Where He doesn't have to explode a bomb in front of us to get our attention, but where we can hear a whisper. Then we can be led without the things that get our attention, but we can just be led. How loud does God have to speak for you to hear? In James chapter 4, it says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. If we want to be able to hear the still small voice, if we want to be able to hear God whisper rather than God shout, then we need to draw close to Him because then He'll draw near to us. So, as we close in prayer, let's do that in our hearts. Let's draw near to Him, knowing that if we can hear His still small voice, He'll guide us into all truth. He'll 
He'll show us things we need to know. He'll teach us. But we need to be able to hear. And in order to hear, we need to draw close. So let's draw close to Him. And we know the promise is true. He will draw close to us. Heavenly Father, we just give you praise and we thank you that you don't leave us here on this earth to wander around and do the best we can, but you guide us by your Spirit and you guide us by your Holy Scriptures. Oh Lord, help us to be able to hear your voice. Help us to be able to walk in your ways. Help us to be able to learn and grow, Lord, as we endeavor to do that. Even when it, when it seems good or when we know we're not supposed to do this, but we're not sure why. Lord, help us. Help us to draw close to You first and foremost. We humble ourselves before You. Oh Lord, we come before You knowing that You are the one that lifts us up. You are the one that has the answers. You are the one that has the strength that we need to get through this. So we come to You and we ask You to guide us. We ask You to encourage us and give us strength. Be with us, Lord. Help us to walk in Your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We can come on down for prayer. The altar's open. You can receive personal prayer. Whatever your prayer need may be, come on down, receive prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Have a, uh, a wonderful afternoon, a beautiful day. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord today.